The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. The thing about the Disney movies, there always is, a, in the plot, the Disney princesses are always longing for something, right? That's kind of the through line. They're trying, they're longing for something that they need met, and often it involves a Prince Charming, not always, which is, you know, great, Um, but often it involves a Prince Charming, so we're going to be talking a little bit more about that in, as we continue on, but if you've been here this quarter, um, you know that we've been going through a series about questions, um, called God Asks Questions to Consider Before Life's Next Chapter. And what we're really looking at is questions that God asks in Scripture in order to help us in determining the numerous questions that we have about our lives. Like, who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? Um, What is the path I should take? Who am I supposed to be with? And what we've discovered is that no matter what your plan is in your life, um, or even if you um, are exploring God's plan for your life, it all comes back to God's purpose being accomplished. That's what we're looking for. God's purpose being accomplished in your life um, and in this world. That's the hope and grace that we have as followers of Jesus. Even when our plans get thrown off course, even when it feels like we're what God's intention is for our lives gets thrown off course, God's purpose never will be. God's purpose is always being accomplished in our lives and in this world. So tonight we're actually going to look at a question that Jesus asks Um, And I'm going to try to show that it's a question that helps us know not only um, what we're supposed to be or who we're supposed to be, but also kind of answers the question, who are we supposed to be with as we continue on our journey? So um, as we continue, let's just stop a minute and pray. Holy God, we are grateful that you are here. We are grateful that you were here before we came in, and we are grateful that you have a purpose on our lives, and it's to know you more. I pray that tonight, as we look at this question, that we would know you more. Uh, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts, would be acceptable in your sight, in your holy name. Amen. All right, so let's dive into scripture. Matthew chapter 12, starting at the 46th verse. While Jesus was still still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, when we first look at this, we might think that's kind of, the, that it's rude, right? That Jesus is like, oh, my mother and brothers. But I think that we're missing the point with what Jesus is, is trying to point out when he asks that question. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And a couple things about context are important. Um, first of all, this comes on the tail end of a long confrontation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the time. And they're confronting him about... Um, questioning him about the things that you should or should not do on the Sabbath and exorcisms. And they're confronting the fact that they don't think Jesus is divine. So this comes on the tail end of that. 
And really, Jesus is being rejected by his own community. That's what happens in these chapters in Matthew. But right in the middle of all of this rejection, in these verses, Jesus talks about revolutionary new relationships. Right in the middle of these bad enemies, the Pharisees, he's establishing a good family. These people who are with Jesus in this room, these people, his mother, um, the disciples that he points to, um, these people are his new family, brothers and sisters. And Jesus actually said sister in the original Greek. This isn't just a 2015 PC translation. Um, In the Greek, it says Adelphi, giving them equal billing as brothers, which in and of itself is revolutionary in first century Judaism. And why does this matter? What does it mean for us in considering our future relationships? Well, the most important, most highly valued relationships in first century were those of family by blood, brothers and sisters, the family you were born into. As a contrast, marriage was a much, much less important relationship. It was more an economic arrangement than anything else. So different from our context, right? The most important thing for us is figuring out how we can fall in love. But in Jesus' time, if you wanted to understand love, intimacy, covenant, which is unconditional love that can't be broken, you would focus on the relationships in a family. Like what Jesus describes about the people sitting with him, the disciples, and there are also obviously females in the room, brother and sister and mother. They're like his kin. He's saying they're like his blood relationships, how to truly understand love, intimacy, and covenant. Jesus Jesus sums up what we need to know about love and being loved in that room, being connected to a family as a brother or sister, and being connected to God for whoever does the will of my Father. This is a really powerful moment in our Christian faith, this moment in Scripture, because this is a new relationship for Jesus to proclaim that these people are his brothers and sisters. He's actually raising up his followers to be equal with him, calling them his siblings, the most important relationship at the time. In the rest of the New Testament, Paul uses the same language in um, the letters he writes to the followers of Jesus throughout um, his missionary journeys. And he says, you are my brothers and sisters. And he takes it to the next level, referring to how we are adopted, made the same as Jesus in our relationship. We are adopted as brothers and sisters. Here's what Paul writes in Galatians 4, starting at the first verse. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. And since you are his children, he has made you also heirs. So we have actually been elevated to equality with Jesus in our relationship with God. We are siblings. And what we're talking about is the most important intimate relationships we can have. Now, I need to make a quick disclaimer. I know a big hang-up is understanding the idea of intimacy. As soon as I say that word in our cultural context, we always jump to physical intimacy between two people, right? Sex. That's what we think about. 
Whenever you say intimacy, that is immediately what people start thinking about. Even though we know that is not the only kind of intimacy there is, the only way to express love and care to another person, but it's always our assumption. Physical intimacy is such a small piece of the pie of what it looks like to be in intimate relationships. So I just want to say that when I'm talking about intimacy, I'm talking about being real, safe, being fully known by other people, expressing need to another person. That's what I'm talking about with intimacy. Is that clear? Just want to say that as I'm moving forward. Our world is a lot different than the first century. Um, So how do we understand our needs for intimacy and what God's purpose for us in having those needs met? We have a longing. We have desire for relationship. It's how God created us. I think we'd all agree that the world that we live in, the culture we live in, is kind of obsessed with the physical intimacy piece. And if we want to know intimacy, our culture tells us we have to find a soulmate. And that's the only way to know true intimacy. This is seen as essential to the story of being fully human and to live out why we're even here. In our culture story, love equals salvation. Being alone equals damnation. Does that resonate for you? Is that what you feel like you hear and experience in the world? Find romantic love or you will never know what it means to have intimacy with someone else. In TV and movies, an ending isn't considered happy unless, you know, there's some love at the end. Seems to me, even after feminism and postmodernism and every other available ism, our culture still says that you are stuck with only two possible outcomes in your life, finding the love of your life and living happily ever after, or death, right? Those are the two choices that we have. Now, this seems like such a good story. Intimacy with the soulmate as salvation, because it is almost entirely what Scripture says, but it's off just slightly. It's off by a subject. That's what idolatry is, is for something to be off by just just a slight subject. The truth is, yes, we are here to love and be loved. Be loved. Love equals salvation. Being alone equals damnation. But in our story, in the biblical story, we are here to love and be loved by God. And to love and be loved by one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the intimacy we long for. God's love equals salvation. Being away from God's love, being alone. That's damnation. Jesus reveals the intimate relationship amongst the heart of the Trinity. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. This is a divine community, a holy family. And when Jesus came to earth, he caught us up into that relationship of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit together, into an intimate relationship, knowing what the very heart of God is. If we're trying to determine God's purpose or God's plan by searching for that one person who is going to complete us, our soulmate, we are missing God's purpose for us, what God's covenant is all about. Salvation is only found in intimacy with God. And Jesus points out here in Matthew, we aren't alone as we understand and experience it. We have brothers and sisters that Jesus has identified in our covenant family. 
That's a special kind of intimacy shared by siblings adopted into God's family. There's a movie that came out a couple years ago. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Frozen. Um, Oh, so you're familiar. Okay. One of the great things about that story with Disney princesses is that it involves a longing for intimacy. But what it involves is a longing for an unrequited love between sisters. That's what the song, Do You Want to Build a Snowman, is all about. Anna and Elsa are wanting to be in relationship together as sisters. I feel like that is such a better picture of the love that God wants us to experience. In some ways, I think the church um, also emphasizes finding a soulmate, marriage, as the most important end-all, be-all relationship in our lives. In fact, the only covenant the church seems to really care about defending and talking about is the covenant of marriage. But the interesting thing about that is, do you know how many times the covenant of marriage, the marriage between two people is mentioned in scripture? Zero. None. It talks about the covenant between Jesus, the husband of the church, right? We are the, as the church, we're the bride of Christ, but it never talks about marriage between two people as covenant. Yet, it's what we talk about more than anything else with regard to how to understand covenant love. Let me share a little tidbit I came across in a book about Christian love called Getting Serious About Getting Married. <laughs> I was thinking about it. So Debbie Macon writes, the belief that remaining single is legitimate and godly is a work of the devil. Read that again. Satan dishonors marriage by fooling us into believing that singleness is okay. Men and women who are not connected to marriage are like the mutilated members of a mangled body. So they're a part of the body of Christ. I'm a part of the body of Christ. So I got that going for me, which is nice. As far as scripture is concerned, marriage relationships, the relationship with your soulmate is actually subordinate to the relationship of brother and sister in Christ. Your spouse should be your brother or sister in Christ. It's also subordinate to our individual relationship with God. Yet that's not what we see or hear or even look for most of the time. When we flip it around, we think looking for our soulmate is going to help us understand what intimate relationships look like instead of looking to God. Now, I know you're probably thinking right now, Janie's just angry because she's single, has no hope of getting married, and is on a fast track to Bittertown, Alonville, and Crazy Cat Lady Junction, Right? <laughs> I get it. The idea of a romantic ending is a lot more exciting than she lived happily ever after with a supportive group of family and friends and an extremely satisfying job and um, an amazing plant named Stan, right? We all remember Stan. I I brought a photo. Yeah. But I want to tell you a little bit of my story. Being single is not a calling for me. I would love to be married. It's certainly something that I have desired, I've wrestled with God about, tried to figure out why I'm in the situation I'm in and fixing it. Like I've been told, my resting face really doubles as a death stare, which I get it. Um, You guys, I'm not totally alone. I have remote control. I have friends. 
But unlike what the world and sometimes the church says, being single does not define me. It does not prevent me from being fully human because wholeness comes from intimacy with God, from the transformation of Jesus in our lives and from community with brothers and sisters. I'll be honest, sometimes it sucks. Our world is built for couples, especially someone like me. I'm in my late 30s, and not, so I don't have a lot of peers left. Small things like going on vacation with family and friends, and every couple gets a bedroom and Janie gets the couch. I'm considered always available because I don't have family obligations, which I love. I love serving other people. It's awesome. But it can be a burden when people talk about how simple and easy my life is in comparison to theirs. And it does get a little depressing at Christmas when I open all of the Christmas cards and I have all these pictures of people in their beautiful families, but I just started sending them pictures of myself sleeping late with lots of extra money, so. <laughs> but the, the question, I think one of the hardest things is the question that I often get, why aren't, why aren't you married, usually sounds like, what's wrong with you? Intimacy issues, clearly. Sometimes it's really lonely. And I share this with you not to tell you that I am a cautionary tale. Do what you can. You got to pair up with somebody really quick. (laughs) I tell you to let you know, all of you who are afraid there is something wrong with you because of your relationship status, that is a lie. If you think that you're not fit for intimate relationship, That is a lie. No matter who you are, your wholeness comes from an intimate relationship with God. You are fully human because of the transforming work of Jesus within you and from real authentic relationships where you can be fully known that can be found with your brothers and sisters in Christ who can call out the value in you when you just aren't convinced that it's true. If we can return to Frozen for a moment, Just let it go. Kidding. That's what I was going to say. One of my favorite things about the movie is that Elsa ends the movie single and fulfilled. Right? The love that she needed was sisterly love. And she actually is not like the homely, ugly, you know, sister that you hide. She's smoking hot. (laughs) But it's the love of her sister that actually makes the difference. For me, one of the benefits of being single so long um, is I have been forced to look for intimacy in lots of other places. Most importantly, my relationship with God. God has provided me with incredible intimacy and love that I've had the time to pursue. And I've also been able to pursue the revolutionary relationships that Jesus has called us to, has invited us into as brothers and sisters in Christ. And part of that involves telling friends, hey, I need you to know me. I need you to take time to know me. One of the great things about working in you men is not only that we are coworkers, but also that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Ryan and I, Ryan Church and I have worked together for a really long time. And there have been multiple times when I have come into his office and just said, I'm really upset right now. And his response is, sit down, tell me what's going on. And I've been able to provide the same for others. Like a friend of mine who recently went through a really difficult divorce after 10 years of marriage. 
because I have a lot of time on my hands, she was able to come and stay with me for weeks at a time. And I was able to pray for her when she thought she had lost her faith. And I was able to be her sister in Christ and remind her that she is loved when she was convinced she didn't deserve it anymore. Now, let me say again, I am not demonizing marriage. I'm trying to get students to pursue each other all the time. I love going to weddings, right? It's one of the most... I do lots of summers involve nine or 10 weddings. It's great. Um, I think marriage is great. It's It's an incredible expression of love and intimacy between people. It's something I want. Most of you will end up getting married, so I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it's great. But... It is not the end-all, be-all of intimacy in your life, and it never should be. God's purpose gives you such a variety for the possibility of intimacy and love, to know someone, to be truly known, to be real and safe. So keep your eyes and your heart open to the places that you might experience outside of being convinced that you have to find a soulmate to know what it means to be loved. My hope is that you might shift your focus on what intimacy can be for you in your life. A few quick reflections um, on God's purpose for you in intimate relationship as I close. First of all, adoption into a family. One of the things that's so funny about families is that we don't get to choose them. You get to choose pretty much every relationship in your life, but your family. Have you ever been at like a family reunion and you look out at all these people and you've thought to yourself, would I choose to spend time with any of these people? (laughs) It's an interesting question, right? And the answer might be no, but you still will for your whole life because you are bound together as a family. And I don't think it's an accident that the way Jesus describes our relationship with one another is as brothers and sisters. We are bound together. There is no choice in the matter. So if you don't have intimate relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, go find them. Express need to others. Share your life with them. Allow them to love you you, and be intentional in offering that to them as well. And the second thing is function over form. Whenever we consider God's purpose in our life, the form that it takes is always way less important than the function it serves in our life. God wants us to have intimate relationship. God wants us to understand and experience love, and we have to let go of what it looks like if we really can receive the love that God wants us to know. Don't be obsessed with the form that it takes. Don't be obsessed with what it looks like. Let yourself be loved by God and open to the way that it can change you. The longing for intimacy we all have is met in pursuing God and in attaching oneself to Jesus. And by his declaration, we are made brothers and sisters, adopted into his family, bound to one another. And that is the good news of our salvation. God, we are grateful that you are a God who has drawn us to yourself. We're grateful that you are a God who wants to know us intimately intimately and love us greatly. And God, we want to be taught how to love one another. We want to be taught what it looks like to care for and have intimate relationships that help us grow in who we are in relationship with one another and help us grow in relationship with you. In your holy name, amen.